Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode number 112. And another jam-packed podcast coming for you today. As we will be uh, talking with James Dodson, my basketball partner for Red Hurricane Basketball over in Newcastle. But he is, as you know, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, a IndyCar IndyCar Mm -hmm. specialist, uh, I should say. And he's gone to 27 straight Indianapolis 500s. This will be the first one he missed because no fans can attend. But... Uh, he came on to talk about the Indy 500 that's taking place this weekend. So we're going to talk to James in a little bit. Plus, we're going to get into, of course, what's going on here in Ohio and the governor's announcement this past week on Tuesday and everything else that's going on in the world of sports. So a lot to get to. But as always, it's my opportunity to bring in my friend and partner, Anthony Kepley. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, we went through those first couple months and of nothing really to talk about as substance with high school football and college football, and um, now we have games on we can talk about. Today might be the first day we talk about being on the field and not just Major League Baseball bumbling up this plan, although so far through 24, 23 games, so good so far. Yeah, we'll get high school football and the mess that is and everything else going on in college athletics. Well, I'm going to put it in pretty simple words when it comes to high school athletics. And it's kind of very disappointing to put it in these terms because I really didn't want to do this. But it becomes a red state, blue state thing. Yeah. Um, it really does. And that's where we're at. And follow the money as as the only thing I can tell everybody is just follow the money and you'll understand why decisions were made that were made. Uh, obviously, we talked about the in Ohio the six game regular season and everybody makes the playoff format coming up. Oh, don't forget my favorite thing: the coaches determine the seeding. Yes, they know every team in the state. Yes, no. yes. Uh, there's a lot a lot of flaws in the oh, entire. By the way, I'm assistant coach that I talked to. Not surprised. Uh, first of all, most coaches only care about their own team. Yes. And preparing them for the week Absolutely. in front of them. Absolutely. And for and just being known that they actually have an opponent yeah. and they're preparing for that. That's what they care about. And and you're right. That's exactly what 99% of the coaches do. Some know their region probably. And I'll be quite honest with you, most will defer it to their ADs to take care Absolutely. of that. Because they have other responsibilities. The governor, Mike DeWine, uh, on Tuesday allowed contact sports in here in Ohio for the fall. A weird tweet came out of uh, the OSAA today. Uh, just really, I understand what it states, but it's just really weirdly stated. It said, Ohio High School Athletic, uh, no playoffs for fall in spring. What it meant to say is, in the fall, all competitions will have a playoff and none of them will be deferred to, to the, spring. the spring which again i'm not sure why you, didn't you would really do need that. To say yeah. that it's kind of it self-explanatory it's a, yeah, it's a very odd oddly yes worded thing and uh 
Look, I'm not a, a big fan of what's going on. I th- honestly believe the best move for the state because of inaction, because of l- lack of leadership and lack of direction, and it goes all the way through. They were looking for direction from the state, and the state mm-hmm. kept punting the ball down the, you know, down the street, kicking the can down until they got to a point where they had no choice mm-hmm. but to make a decision. Uh, same with the Ohio High School Athletic Association. I think there was obviously – uh, rift in the association that caused Jerry Sawgrass mm-hmm. to move on. Uh, looks, all indications seems that he was trying to convince them to move to the spring mm, yeah. and the rest of the state, or no, I should say, there was a fraction of the leadership that did not want to do that. Uh, for whatever reason, it's obviously we talked uh, last week with John Vargo and he brought it up and it has been mentioned many times <laughs> that the Ohio High School Athletic Association is basically broke, mm-hmm. and without the playoffs, they may have to file for bankruptcy and start over. And I think that has was the number one determining factor in playing fall sports this year. It was not the health of the children. It was not what was best for competition, and it was not what was best for the state of Ohio. Now, that with that said, can they pull this off? Possibly. And we're going to get into some of that. And I honestly, you know, my my humble opinion is the governor didn't give any directives that truly gives direction. Uh, Now they're saying that you can have family and friends at the game. Well, how do you determine what that number is? If you have a stadium that has 25 or 3,500 Capacity is at 250 or 300. If you have a 20,000 seat facility like they have in Akron or or in Canton and or in Maslin or Youngstown State, does that mean they can have up to 4,000 people there? I mean, this this is what I find frustrating is they could not truly determine anything other than. Uh, we'll throw it back to the schools and tell them that they have to live within this parameter, mm-hmm. but not give you de- definition of that parameter. What is family and friends? Now, family to me would mean obviously any mother and father or any possible grandparents. Well, no, I, I think grandparents are not allowed, in my opinion. I think it has to be immediate family, and that means any sibling that may be part of the the family unit now do some grandparents live in a family yes. unit the answer is yes so how do you make that determination well lots of schools defer to that yeah each and yeah. every school can make their own decision and this is uh you know unfortunately part of the problem is they could not the Ohio High School Athletic Association didn't want to take a lead on it, and the state didn't want to take a lead. So they get something very ambiguous, and this is where we're at. And it's frustrating. And, again, it's not that I'm against mm-hmm. parents or family members seeing the game. I think that's actually what I I talked about to yeah. one parent earlier this year and when we're talking about possibility. I says, well, if you're going to have people in the stands, the first people that deserve to be there are the parents. And then you look at their siblings and, you know, obviously say maybe up to four per family. But if you have five or six in your family, obviously you don't want to leave one behind. 
and and so forth. And I says, as for grandparents, God bless them. I'm glad they they care and they want to be there. But you have to draw the line somewhere. Mm-hmm. And quite honest with you, with an infection that we're trying to prevent the spread of, to have someone who quote unquote is a higher risk in a gathering doesn't make sense to me. Tim, unfortunately, um, and the reason why you and I have been doing high school football and you've been doing high school baseball and basketball for years, and the reason why we enjoy Friday night so much is because it's about the love of the game. Uh, The high school football and high school basketball truly is not about the wins and losses. You want to win, don't get me wrong, but it's not about the money either. Tim, this, this decision by the OHSA and the state is fully driven by money. And uh, John touched on that when he came on uh, last week. After he got back from vacation, he scheduled time for us, which is very generous for him. But also in his article uh, a couple of days after, he had mentioned that this decision to play high school all sports this year was monetarily driven. And let me say this, because last year, two of— to the second through fifth top money makers of the state did not have their tournaments. Boys State basketball in 2018-2019 amassed $843,000. Track and field was $575,000. Wrestling was $532,000. Girls State basketball was $456,000. 78% of the revenue for the state comes in ticket sales. So... Right there, you're you're over a million dollars, Tim, of revenue that they did not get in this past year. It's crushing. There's no question. Yes. And they're not the first quote unquote nonprofit or business to suffer from this pa- pandemic. We all have at certain times. Many of us got laid off at certain times. Some of us are still laid off mm-hmm. today. Others have returned to work, maybe at a, not necessarily the same rate that they were making before or the hours that were there. I mean, many people have been affected by this pandemic across the the country, not in just our state or our, our neighborhoods and our towns, but it, it is what has happened. Uh, this was the headlines today from the Ohio High School Athletic Association. No playoffs for fall sports played in spring. And uh, as of right now, as I sit here today, I would say there would be no tournament option for our schools in the spring for fall sports, said uh, Goldring, who is uh, Bob Goldring, who mm-hmm. is now the acting director of the Ohio High School Athletic Association. And yeah, I would I did not know that was an option uh, to play in the fall and delay the playoffs to the spring. I never knew those were in consideration either. I yeah, mean, well, there's been a lot of considerations, as you just said, and I it makes no sense to me. As for the high school football season coming up, I you know, like I said, there's been many. Here's one of the everyone knows my I've been a big proponent of moving it to the spring, not just because the Big Ten uh-huh. did and the Pac-10 and the MAC and Youngstown State and, you know, Missouri Valley and other conferences have made that decision. And we could talk about that again here in a few minutes. 
the main reason was is to get our house, when I mean our house, the high school football community in order for everybody can enjoy the football season and hopefully end it with a championship. Now, is it a perfect scenario? No. Perfect scenario is we don't have a pandemic and we have a normal mm-hmm. season and it's worth 15 and next year 16 week yep. season. Okay. That's not going to happen. I mean, the plan that they came up is a joke. My plan originally, and I've said it many times, was an eight-week regular season and then see if you can do the playoffs. If you can't, well, at least we got eight weeks in. That's right. And then if we did the playoffs, take the first two weeks of the playoffs off yep. and have three weeks. Well, I've amended it this week a little bit. Not that it matters, but it's the same amount of time of an 11-week season for a championship. Mm-hmm. If you had it in the spring... And I still think this would have been the best scenario is you had a seven week regular season. You still have the the Harbin point system mm-hmm. involved, the regions, all that. But instead of having eight teams make the playoffs, if you did, that's fine. Yeah. That makes it a 12 week season. But if you go back to the old expansion of the um the playoffs go back to the top four make four, the playoffs yeah. and you have four weeks of playoffs you have obviously the semifinals and finals in the regions mm-hmm. and then the semifinal for the state yep. and the state final and if you did that with a seven week regular season that's an 11 week season if you go with eight teams it's a 12 week season mm-hmm. and you could you could put that in the spring and get it done pretty smoothly and i honestly believe that you would have good participation because kids want to play. Now, I am the first to admit, those who have number are those who have Power Five scholarships probably would not play in the spring no. because they would be more trying to prepare for the fall. And the thought of playing two seasons in one year, I get that to a certain level. I'm not saying these are professional athletes because they're not. Mm-hmm. And at the collegiate level, I'm not saying they're professional athletes because they're they are not. I will say this: being of my age, and being a, a, someone who remembers when the USFL was around, mm-hmm. there were players like Brian Seip who mm-hmm. finished the NFL season and went right, right to the, in yeah. to the USFL and played a full season. And they were an 18-week USFL regular season. It was a long uh, mm-hmm. regular season uh, for that league back in the day. Uh, I honestly do believe you can, you could have got it in the spring season, delayed the by a month the start of the next season, have another contraction type year, maybe the eight mm-hmm. games instead of you know, or the seven games again, and you'll be back on schedule, assuming that everything goes gr- you know more smoothly uh, fighting this pandemic. I don't, you know, obviously none of this is going to happen. We are where we are, and this is what will go forward. As for, you know, we'll just have to see how it all works out. I'm. There are certain statements that made makes me uh, shake my head and say, "What are they thinking?" But this is where we're at, and I, I accept it. And this is where you know. Let's hope for the best this year. I think it's going to be difficult on all involved. This is not a bubble situation for these kids. Uh, 
you could say it is, but it's not because most of these kids will be going back to school five days a week. Yep. And they will be sitting next to someone in a classroom who is not an athlete, who is not getting tested, who is not necessarily trying to infect anybody no. else, but maybe infecting an entire room. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's going to happen everywhere, but if you listen to the experts, that's what they're saying is going to happen in the fall and going into winter uh, this year. Because so far, those who are epidemiology experts have been correct in all their predictions. And you may not like that information. You may disagree with that information, but that is a factual statement. And you can't fight facts. Facts are facts. That's like in a court of law. You may get a jury to buy a lie, but you're not going to get a jury to to dismiss the mm-hmm. facts. And, and it goes on and on and on. I mean, nine out of ten times, the fact speaks louder than the lies. Yeah, it's, you know, like we talked about, Tim, and like I just mentioned a little bit ago, uh, this was monetarily driven. This was a... Oh crap! We know we probably shouldn't be doing this, but we need the money badly. Um, and there is no bubble. It, there is no bubble when it comes to this virus because this virus is not. Oh well, he, they're in high school, so they're not going to get them sick. It doesn't choose like that. Um, I I want to know how often are these athletes getting tested in high school because these high schools don't have the money to do that. No high school has the money to test. 11 weeks i don't think they do i i just don't think they do um right now i have not heard they waived that requirement but i've been hearing more and more that that requirement of the 72 hours before a game yeah requirement may be waived by the state i'm not saying it has been i've been hearing those rumors. i don't think you can play until you have testing and you and i can go get tested right now but that's a lot of money for 11 weeks, Tim. Every week's a lot. I mean, mo- most high schools don't have that kind of money laying around. With the school budget being cut this past year, most families don't have that kind of money. I honestly don't know how they get it done if they follow the guidelines that are out there today. Will those guidelines be in effect in a week from now? My gut feeling is no. that you may see the testing happen the first week, and that's it. That's just a gut feeling. One story. I don't, yeah, I don't expect it to be weekly. I don't expect it to be uh, nearly at the level of the NBA or the NHL oh, or, no. the NA, or the Major League Baseball. It's just, it is what it is. I hate using that phrase, but this is where we're at, and this is what we're going to go forward. And I hope it goes off without a hitch. I hope no infection hits any school. I hope... That every team has a chance to have success and to enjoy the playoffs that are going to be coming up in October, and and we'll see what happens. Am I optimistic about this running smoothly? No, I'm not. Do I necessarily want? I don't want to see them fail. No, That's for sure. No Just the opposite. I want them to succeed. I'd rather sit here and say, "Hey, they got it right." Yeah. Uh, or you know, maybe we've turned a corner in the, in the pandemic, which would make everybody happy. Evidence is not showing that's the case, but we'll we'll wait and see. I, I'm more than willing. I hate saying this to, to see how this experiment works out. 
Yeah, that's all we can do at this point, Tim, because you, you nor I uh, have the ability to make a decision and see how this plays out. Uh, hope for the best, obviously. Hope that uh, all six weeks goes off without a hitch. Hope however many week playoffs, what, four or five week playoffs go smoothly. We can crown a champion um, and give these kids a season they worked hard for and deserve. Uh, because at the end of the day, Tim, this is about the kids. Yeah. You, you know, you know, it's just to talk about what you just said there for a moment. We want everyone to be successful. There's no question about that. You look at how successful the NBA has been mm-hmm. and the NHL. They haven't had one infection. However, you look at Major League Baseball. They've had three teams have to miss games or postpone games. Four, isn't it? Well, three that I know of. Let me double check here. We have the the Marlins, the Cardinals, and the Reds. And yes. the Reds. Yep. Now, they affected other, other teams, teams yes. that they were okay, playing, yeah. but the infection, yeah. from my understanding, was in those clubhouses. Yes. So those are three teams that, and we'll see what happens and if they can catch it and how it goes forward. And hopefully, like I said, this won't be an issue. But you look at Major League Baseball and you look at the protocol that they have and the traveling that they're doing, and you look at these young men who are going to be playing football, who are going to be going to school. And most of them will be not doing remote learning. Most of them will be doing in-class learning. So it's an experiment. I hate saying that, but it's an experiment. We're going to see where, what happens, and if they can pull this off. You'll see early on if it's pass or fail. Early on. I think think we'll know know within two, three weeks if they can pull this off. Absolutely. And it's going to be, you know, like I said, I don't think, I do believe, I don't know the participation numbers throughout the state because i my understanding is cuyahoga county is has a problem with the with some of yes. the schools playing cincinnati had the same thing toledo area i think too yes yeah. so i don't know the total participation in the state so we'll just have to wait and see how that all works out as we go forward and hopefully they'll have that all on a website unfortunately we won't know because they're not using a harbin Nope. System, so we can't get on and check it on each yeah. and every region and how who's playing who and the schedules. Now maybe Joey Till will have the schedules up. I haven't checked, anyways, and maybe even do a mm-hmm. point system out of his own desire to yeah. see how that would work out this year on a shortened season. Again, not spoken to him, not heard anything mm-hmm. about it, not saying it's going to happen, but it's just kind of something I was thinking about. All right, let's uh, move on here. Let's talk with our good friend mm-hmm. James Dawson from uh, Western Pennsylvania. Of course, does the high school basketball games with me. Uh, he's part of Trib Live. He does a lot of high school sports. So we're going to talk. actually talk about the Indy 500 with James. And uh, by the way, uh, just about two weeks ago, James got married and had his birthday just on Monday. So uh, congratulations on both, James. And here's our conversation with James Dawson talking about the Indy 500, the 104th running of the Indy 500. Joining us now is James Dawson, uh, one of our good friends here on Radio MVP. Of course, James does high school basketball with me over covering the Red Hurricanes from Newcastle. And James, uh, it's been a crazy 2020, as everyone knows. And for the first time ever, the Indy 500 is in August. And uh, it's coming up this weekend. You've 
been uh, very familiar with it. Uh, you have attended, uh, what, over 25? I think you told me last year it was 26. Yeah, this, this year would have been number 28 for me, number 45 for my uh, family as a whole. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bummer that we couldn't make the trip in May. Now we can't make it in August, so we're all going to be uh, staying together, watching it from home, and naturally we're going to uh, – uh, Zoom call in with some of our other friends from across the country who uh, also wish they could be there together like we always do to go back home again in Indiana. So we'll make the best of it, but it's definitely a, a bummer and definitely you know, something different to uh, to be able to enjoy from afar this year. Well, some things never change in Indy in the sense uh, the Andretti's are always involved, and they had one great past week, this, uh, past week uh, locking up the pole position. Yeah, Marco Andretti, the uh, grandson of the great Mario Andretti. I mean, he's been a force, uh, especially around the Brickyard for the last 15 years. It, his rookie year back in uh, 06, he nearly won the race, was passed uh, on the last lap, man, uh, less than a second, and the second closest uh, finish in Indy 500 history. And we knew he was right on the scene, but he hasn't really lived up to full expectations. People thought that he would win many, many more races than this, but he's uh, – Finally got maybe his best chance now, starting on a pole in uh, his 15th year. And he's, he was just quick all week leading up uh, to uh, to qualifying. So, really, it's just great for the sport. I mean, Michael Andretti, his father, you know, never was on pole. Mario, last time he was on pole uh, was in 1987. So, 33 years between having an Andretti on the uh, pole position is uh, pretty impressive in and of itself. So, uh, it's just great for the sport. I mean, you have people all over the place who are – uh, who are getting information from their sports uh, broadcasts uh, on their local news segments that say Andretti on pole for Indy 500, like they never get any uh, open real coverage at all. So the fact that you have, you know, media outlets who normally don't cover anything, especially at a time where sports coverage is uh, a bit limited with the pandemic, I think that's uh, just really great for the sport uh, in and of itself to some new fans out there maybe this Sunday. Well, let's talk about the defending champion and, and Pagino. Let's talk about him. Coming in, he's going to be starting at 22nd. Uh, advantage, disadvantage, how, how much is it going to be for him to try to uh, repeat uh, starting that far back? Uh, if it was last two years, Tim, I would say that he was going to be automatically helped if you were uh, starting 15th or back. And that's just because the way the new arrow kit was these last two years, it's been really difficult to pass, especially at the front of the field. Uh, so if you were starting in the first three, four rows, it was going to be very, very difficult. But uh, this year with the added of the new arrow screen uh, in front of the drivers, uh, it looks really cool, uh, really different uh, look from what you normally see with the uh, with the IndyCar. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit easier to pass. Sunday's practice surely made it uh, look that way. Um, but, uh, teams are going to have a little bit of a bigger hole in terms of uh, getting a good draft to be able to do the stream pass. So I think that he should be okay to at least be competitive. And Team Penske is always one of the best in terms of getting the right strategy, keeping guys out at the right time, pitting them a little bit earlier, a little bit later in a stint uh, to best serve their drivers. So even though uh, Penske and the Chevrolet engine did not fare well qualifying, I think everybody in that Penske organization has a great chance. You mentioned the uh, passion of the defending champion, Will Power, from two years ago. He's starting back in the, in the uh, uh, seventh row, eighth row. Elio Castroneves, a uh, three-time winner, uh, he's starting all the way back in 28. So uh, his worst starting position uh, in his career, he actually started back uh, 
in 2016, he started in 19th place and got all the way up to second. So he's someone who knows how to get from the back to the front as well. And uh, so three former winners on the team is pretty good, too, and their best cast probably Newburn, uh, one of the top Chevrolets out there. So those three teams are still going to be absolutely fine. Uh, they'll somebody, at least one of them for sure, will be competing in the last 10 laps. And there's, what, five rookies uh, making their debut at Indy uh, this year. Yeah, five rookies. The one that uh, really caught my eye is Renus Vite. Uh, let me give his full name. Renus Van Kampoot uh, from the Netherlands. Uh, a teenager, kind of like Marco was in his first year, only 19 years old. He's actually the top Chevy driver. Uh, Chevy actually, uh, he's the only Chevy in the entire top 12 in the first four rows uh, this year. Uh, when they did the qualifying, so what they've done the last two years with qualifying is on uh, Fast Friday and qualifying day, they upped the boost uh, in terms of the turbocharger boost. They created a big PSI increase, getting about uh, 70 to 80 extra horsepower this year. And when they did that, the Honda engines just really took off. The Chevrolets just didn't do nearly as well in that qualifying trim. So, uh, with that being said, Hondas are dominating up front right now. But in terms of race pace and practicing and traffic, uh, and it looks like possibly fuel mileage as well, because Chevrolet is going to be the uh, team has a little bit of the advantage. So the fact that you have uh, a Chevy starting uh, instead of VK, I think is going to be uh, a real promising result there. And I think uh, Alex Fallot, also in that fast line, uh, is going to be a, a good guy to uh, keep your eye on. He's been really impressive so far in, in his uh, rookie campaign. And you can't overlook the uh, the, the two aero cars either uh, of Askew and Award. Um, in fact, uh, Award actually, he's, Technically not a rookie in the series. He competed last year, but this is his first 500, so he gets that rookie designation back. And those are two guys on a really good team now partnering with McLaren as well. Uh, names that you may not know the driver name, but you certainly know the team name. They, they will be forces to be reckoned with, and they've been very consistent all week uh, so far leading up to qualifications. Let's talk about uh, – I know the Indy has in the past. I haven't really seen the, the grid completely, uh, James, but – uh, has attracted international uh, drivers. Any uh, certain international drivers making a debut, or not necessarily a debut, but a return to the uh, track this year? Well, uh, the, uh, the teenager we made from the Netherlands, that's a, a fun one that you just you don't see uh, very often. He uh, the first Dutch driver uh, to compete at the 500. I'm not sure. I actually kind of want to research that now. Uh, but he's definitely going to be a, a, a big one to watch. Um, the international player for... Uh, for uh, Scott Dixon in the middle of the front row, the Kiwi from New Zealand, long-time IndyCar driver, uh, always been with Chip Ganassi, always a force. He starts second. And uh, right up there with him is uh, Takuma Sato, long-time uh, Formula One driver from Japan. He won the 500 three years ago. Uh, the way I look at it, his motto is no attack, no chance. He will go for it any chance he gets. So the way I look at it, starting third, he will either lead lap one, or he will crash in turn one in the first lap because he will, he will go for it right away. So I think that's going to be fun, too. Just you know you're going to get action right off the bat out of that front row. So I'm definitely keeping on that those international flavor. You can't go without mentioning a two-time world champion in Fernando Alonso who's coming back. He tried with McLaren last year uh, to make his second Indy car start, his second Indy 500 start, and actually was bumped from the field. He wasn't fast enough. It was uh, an incredible moment, a two-time world champion, that great team in Laren, and uh, just wasn't good enough. And that's kind of the thrill of the 500 is that you never know, even if you're going to make the field, uh, nevertheless be able to compete and try to win the race. So uh, Fernando Alonso starting all the way back 
uh, in the middle of row nine, starting position. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if he can try to make a bit of a run. Obviously, he's used to driving in traffic on the uh, Formula One circuits and uh, now getting his second chance on the big oval. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see them adapt to the the oval driving versus, as you mentioned, uh, the uh, the circuit that they normally drive on when they're making, you know, uh, 15, 16 turns in a uh, in a lap. So it should be quite interesting to watch the, this uh, this event coming up, James. Just give me real quick some of your your favorites uh, coming in. Who do you think uh, you like to see win, and who do you think may be the top two contenders coming down the stretch at the uh, about an hour and a half, two hours into this race? Well, I, I first think that if you know if you can get Marco Andretti or Grand Rainhall, one of the big names uh, from you know previous generations, and you know a second or third generation driver coming through, if either one of those two would win, it would be absolutely huge for the sport. And Grand Rainhall, especially his 13th start, uh, he hasn't started in the top 10 actually since back in 2009, 2010. So normally he's a guy who was in the back of the pack and has worked his way up to the front by the end, but hasn't gotten a win. The fact he's starting in the first three rows, I think gives him a great advantage. So I'm keeping my eye on him for sure. And uh, I definitely like all three guys on the Ed Carpenter team. We mentioned uh, VK a couple of times, Ed Carpenter himself, normally known for starting on the pole and then uh, not quite being able to finish the race. I think it's been enough for him. Three pole positions, but no wins. He definitely did not qualify well, but he has probably the best racing car that he has had uh, in his long career. I definitely think he's going to be strong. And the other teammate there, Connor Daly, a veteran, it's kind of interesting with him. His 7500, he's never finished better than 10th, but this is the first year that he's been with the same team from one year to the next to get that familiarity. And he's had a great start to the year this year. Uh, after these previous years, he's kind of just bounced back and forth and been almost a you know, the free agent, hey, this driver's injured, this driver's sick, we're going to throw you in right now for this race. So I like what he can do, and he's been very consistent so far. He was in the top ten each and every practice session so far. So I'm very impressed with what he's done. The uh, the one piece, piece of uh, bad news, he starts 18th. No one has ever won from 18th, believe it or not, in the 103-year history uh, of the Indy 500. So uh, could he be the first? I think he definitely could. He's been very consistently good, especially in race trim. But if I have to give just one and only one name, it would have to be Alexander Rossi. He definitely had a disappointing uh, f- uh, finish to his qualifying. He was in the fast nine. He should have uh, had a great chance at the pole, but just missed out a little bit on uh, on his car setup. So he's starting in ninth. That's the same place he went and started last year. And I would encourage everybody, just go on YouTube and watch some of the passes that Alexander Rossi made. He was a man on a mission last year, uh, made passes that it looked like there wasn't room between a car and the wall, and he somehow got in there. Uh, ended up finishing second, and if it had been one more lap, I think he would have been able to get right back to the front to win his second Indy 500. It would not surprise me if the American uh, goes and does it again. It's his fifth Indy 500 start, and his finishes so far, first in his rookie race, seventh, fourth, and second. You know he's going to be up front no matter what come the end of the race. He'd be foolish not to bet on it. It should be a lot of fun this week. I'm looking forward to it. I hope uh, you and your family and friends uh, on the Zim call have a great time uh, watching the game. And uh, I guess you'll be uh, sipping some milk at the end of the uh, at the end of the race, huh? Oh, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll be enjoying the day for sure, and uh, I'm sure. Uh, somebody will have the bottle of milk waiting for us full side to uh, to finish up the, the day as soon as uh, somebody else gets in victory lane. We'll go enjoy.
I want to thank James for coming on and helping us out here today and talking about the Indy 500. He knows everything. He talked about all those different racers and the situations, and uh, he had to put up with my 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 questions. But mm-hmm. uh, like I said, James is such a great guy and so blessed as a uh, a broadcast partner to have uh, James Dodson. And I mean that sincerely. I've had a lot of broadcast partners in my lifetime, and no offense to anybody who may be listening who knows and has done games or is continuing to do games with me. James is the best. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Uh, from the games I've listened to, of you guys calling Newcastle basketball and having him on the podcast a couple of times, uh, he's phenomenal. He He's uh, well-versed in a lot of different areas, and he's definitely an asset to Western Pennsylvania. Oh, there's no question. And, uh, again, our congratulations to him on his uh, wedding and his birthday this past week. So. Yeah, congratulations for taking the plunge there. Yeah, yeah. Someone had to go pro. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, all right hey let's uh continue on let's talk a little baseball here yeah, Anthony. we're, we're going to talk on field action now a little bit we're going to talk on field action a now. little bit i did get information today that there's still a ball in pittsburgh that has not landed from the bat of carlos santana last night oh Ooh. my god did he crush that ball if i went if i read you off the lineup last night before the game started and said, Tim, name me one player that needs that home run. You're saying Carlos Santana probably. Uh, That's the lows of old. That was the Carlos Santana that we had grown accustomed to last year. Any clutch hit the Indians needed, it was him. Uh, that That was an absolute moonshot. And PNC Park is lucky they got those uh, terraces there or... Like you said, that thing is... That might be in the river. If, if that was, thing's still going to Pittsburgh International if, Airport. If he was batting from the left side, that's in the river. Uh. Tim, that's in the middle of the Allegheny. I mean, that's not uh, you know, just yeah. skimming in. Uh. Uh, it was, without a doubt, one of the hardest hit, most majestic home runs I've seen. Now, have there been farther home runs? Have there been deeper home for home runs? Sure. We in Detroit this weekend. Good Lord. Yeah, Uh that thing was high, and it was far, and uh, he, and it was right down the line, he literally did his over Carlton the, Fisk, and yeah. he. At first, if you watch the highlights again, he, he thought it was a foul ball. He had no idea. Yeah, um, it was right on the line. I mean, it could have been called either way. They got I, it right uh, yeah, from all it, the indications, from all the replays. They got it right. It was strange again. Uh, That's the third extra inning game for the Indians. Two and one with the uh, Little League Baseball rules this year. Yeah. Throw that um, out there. Still yeah. can't bunt, but hey, hey, we'll take two and one. You know, it is what it is, I guess. No, um, I can't say, keep saying that. That's just wrong. <laughs> Thank God we're playing Pittsburgh and Detroit right now. Get some uh, confidence going and get some uh, well, wins. Yeah, that's, you know, what the doctor ordered. Yeah. I hate it saying is. it. <laughs> no, it is. You're exactly right, Tim. It's, it's exactly what this team needed, especially... Take away the struggles on the field, but off the field, too, you needed to get right week, you know, just to get your mind right. Um, the controversy that the Indians went through with Plesak and Clevenger was a major, major uh, dealing within the organization. And I don't think we're done with that yet. No, we're not. Uh, you can see the players are still upset. Uh, and it was interesting. I was 
as everyone knows, I promote mm-hmm. it all the time. If you're a baseball fan, you should be listening to Baseball Tonight, the podcast. Buster only mm-hmm. it's five days a week. You can't you get so much information there. Uh, he went on and he was talking about it from from his sources. Uh, when this happened, and Plesek was was outed, the team mm-hmm. was like six and a half on the upset. Yes, a meter. And then they had the team meeting, and Clevenger was defending him. Then it came out that Clevenger was out with him, and the meter, the the upset meter with Clevenger was a ten. Now Plesek was about a six and a half. They said. Then Plesek made the fatal oh mistake of the Instagram post and video, and that upset level went from a six and a half to a ten again, and that's when the organization knew. They had to ship them out. And I'll be honest, I thought it was just going to be a 10-day stay. I think it's going to be longer. It might be the rest of the season. Let me say this. I'm going to preface this statement by saying I don't think it will happen. But come August 31st, I would not be surprised if Mike Clubber is not in the stadium. I would. I would be shocked. I, I would be shocked. Be, I would be shocked. First, blow me away if he's not. Uh, I understand the point of view. And if this was a normal season, I mean, 162-game yes. season, even though you had the pandemic mm-hmm. and everything going on, I would agree with you that would be a legitimate possibility. However, the reason I don't think that's a possibility is because the value of Clevenger, and you're not going to get that this year. You're not going to get the return value that you got. You, For example... When they traded Bauer last year at the trading deadline, you know they got they got uh, Reyes in return. They got a legitimate power hitting outfielder slash DH, and they got a couple other players involved. But that was he was the key. Under the circumstance that baseball's in today, and there's no minor league system, and all you have is a remote camp and they're not playing baseball and there's no video there's no way to get your scouts in to see someone play i don't think that's possible i don't think you'll see a major player be traded at the trading deadline now could you find a good piece at the trading deadline i think you could if you needed a position player of you know a backup infielder or Mm -hmm. a fourth outfielder Maybe a reliever, uh, but not necessarily a top reliever like when they traded for Hand a few years back. Uh, that I don't think you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see a major name traded at the trading deadline. However, I do think you could find, you know, kind of what the Indians have always done. Uh, went out and got themselves a good quality player. Coco Crisp with Brandon Dyer. Right. Yeah, at the second trading down back in the day. Kenny Loft in a couple years. Right. But and, and, and those, are yeah. low, those are low-risk low, low trades because you're not giving yes. up a lot no. for them. Uh, and that's where you're at. And that's where I think – I think you'll see those type of trades. I don't think you're going to see a blockbuster trade yeah, from I, any any team. I don't think that'll happen. But if it did, per se, 
I would not be like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. Um, Tim, it's just nice for the first time and what a couple months here to talk baseball on the field. It's um, the bullpen was. I'll go on record saying uh, I sent a text out in March and when these exhibition games started give me a lot of antacids for this bullpen because you have no idea what you're going to get and the bullpen up to date has been pretty good stands a couple outings it's been pretty good it's been really I think players we we you mean you and yeah. I and players that the fans have never seen before mm-hmm. have performed well we know we heard about Karen Check, but we never really seen him. we seen him briefly couple last times, yeah. you know last September but we really didn't see him on a daily basis uh, Cam Mason coming over from San Diego. We never seen him pitch. No. Uh, and uh, Hill, we never seen these guys no. pitch. So we did not know how they would handle the situation and how the Indians would handle it. But then again, if you're going to put pitchers together in a bullpen and you have Terry Francona as your manager, mm-hmm. chances are he's going to find a ways that you fit it. And he thinks he can use it to your best attributes. And that's something I think you got to give Sandy Alomar a yes. lot of credit over the last two weeks, being the manager of the Indians when Ter- Terry was out and now in the uh, Pittsburgh yeah. series. Uh, I think he's handled the situation very well. Especially with everything going on. You know, A, being thrust into the on-field duties to manage – and with an offense that, Tim, we sat here, what, t- two weeks ago, and it was terrible. Let's be honest. The offense was was downright terrible two weeks ago. Two hits, three hits, n- you know, no runs. So don't want to deal with that. Then to deal with the plug, the police, Zach, and Clevenger situation going on. Uh, you're right. Cindy Almar has done a phenomenal job and is showing why uh, he is – the, He's ready for his own team. The favorite when Tito retires to be handed the keys. Well, I think he'll be handed the keys of another team probably do next. You? Yeah, I really do. I think he's been interviewed over the last couple of years. And because situation developed this year where he's really been Francona's right-hand person to take over, and that's who the Indians yep. wanted, I won't be surprised if when baseball ends this year and some team mm-hmm. makes a change, and they will, because they always be a lot do. of teams making changes. Yeah, well, on a sixty-game season, is we'll no. just have to wait and see. But my point is, I expect somebody to be let go, and I expect Sandy Alomar to be in very high regards as a possible replacement for whoever that person is, who whatever team that is. Now. It may be a year over a mm-hmm. year away because it's such an yeah. aberration this year of sixty games, short run. You can make a case, no matter what manager finishes this year, he didn't have a real opportunity to show what his team mm-hmm. could or could not do. Um, and then you're gonna see some kind of overperform their value yep. because of such a short season. For example, Baltimore can make the playoffs. Yeah. And Baltimore Miami too. Right. Two teams that you would not expect, to, but in a short season like this and expanded playoffs that we have, 
very well could happen. Uh, very well could happen that you could see a non-top team not win the World Series this year. Not saying it won't be that way, but like the St. Louis Cardinals a few years back yep. with 80, what, 84 mm-hmm. wins? 85 wins, yeah. Yeah, and won the, the World oh. Series. It has happened before. The Giants before. too, and they were a wild card team, yeah. Right. It has happened before, and it can happen again. Uh, if you have the pitching levels and you have the team at the right thing, I mm-hmm. believe these these things will probably occur. Uh, and that gives me hopes for the Indians, because even though their offense is erratic, uh, when they score three runs or more, they actually win games. Yep. Uh, they're 10-0. When they actually have the lead with three runs or just more, just get to four. Well, just three get, runs or yeah. more. Three runs or more with the lead. The Indians are ten and zero. I like four just to feel comfortable. I understand that, but that's not the stat. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm being honest, because the Indians don't get four runs. I would love to have four or five runs. Uh, heck, I would love seven or eight runs, but. This offense, up until recently, and maybe last night in a sense for the first time in extra innings, they don't score four runs. They score three runs or two runs or one run. Yeah. They've been shut out like three times already this year. Uh, that's the concern. If the offense can give this pitching staff some Some cover, consistency, yeah. Yeah, some cover. Then, yeah, come playoff time, it could be very interesting. Like we mentioned earlier, can they pick up a bat? Maybe. Will that be an outfield bat? Probably, because yeah. there's nowhere else to play, and the infield's taken. Yeah, Barring an injury, the infield's taken. Uh, you're not going to replace your your catchers, so the only place you could put them is in the outfield. Will they find that player? I don't know. Right now, we have five center fielders, and we go from there. And hopefully, one of them will get hot. Yeah, DeShields looks like a very interesting player. Getting to see him play a little bit more, I'm encouraged about the type of baseball he plays. I like DeShields. And I believe he adds an element to this team that has been missing for a few years. I like his offensive game. I really do. Yes. Uh, defense to me, and now maybe this is be- this is what the Indians want him to do. Uh, seems to me playing a little deeper in center field, but that could be what the Indians are telling him to do. So I don't know. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that's, that's his just own good defense. Him. If you play deeper, it's easier to move, come in on a ball than it is to go back on a ball. He, he struggles to come in on the ball, though. Well, again, and, and he hasn't had the Indians playing. He hasn't had the spring training that you normally have and stuff like that. That's true. Yeah, and got to remember, and, and I'm not making an excuse for him, but he did have COVID. Yes, so we don't know how it's affecting mm-hmm. him as an athlete. Hopefully, it's it's not even an issue, but. Let's just take a game by game. So far, I'm intrigued about his game and how he plays. He gets on base. He has speed. Yep. He bunts the ball. He brings an element to this team that, that we don't it has have. not yep. had in the last few years. That's encouraging. I just like he's willing to go to the opposite field. I mean, he truly is one of the few guys that consistently will look to go to the opposite field. Him and Reyes, uh, I, I mean... Hernandez sometimes, um, but that's what you're talking about is probably the one thing that if you really want to see Santana take the next step as a player, yes. like he did last year, he was oh, going the man. opposite way and in the alleys. 
that again going forward. I think we've seen Carlos looking like Carlos prior to coming back last year to the Indians mm-hmm. early in the season. Hopefully, we're, we're, we're seeing him break out of that. Hopefully, last night was yeah, yeah. And him. There's no question the two players the Indians need to be successful for this lineup to get deeper is Carlos Santana and... Francisco Lindor. And, yeah. Well, no. And Reyes, the, the four and five hitters, to make this a deeper lineup. Oh, yes. Uh, Lindor's going to be fine. Lindor's pushing, yes, but Lindor will be fine. He has too much talent for me to worry about him. Play him every day. Good things will happen in the long run. There's no question in my mind. Uh, Ramirez is having a great season. Hernandez is having a great season. That's very encouraging. The bottom of the lineup needs to find somebody who could be a catalyst, get on base, and to drive in runs when opportunity comes. Who that is, I don't know yet. But it is encouraging to have DeShields bat ninth because he's getting yes. on base. Yep. So that kind of gives you the double leadoff hitter when he bats yes. down low. And then now you're talking about the sixth, seventh, and eighth spots that are kind of right now. And Naquin, I think, when gets healthy. Remember, he's still playing with the hairline fracture in his toe. You know, when Naquin can get healthy, and now we say, we've been saying this for how long, but I think when he gets some more at-bats and gets more comfortable, um, I think he can help extend that six, seven, and eight spot. Yeah, and then that's where the Indians are at right now. I mean, that's th- these are some of the deficiencies that are showing, are you and s- we'll see long term. But I mean, Reyes for the last two weeks has been on fire, and uh, you know he's just he's hit the ball hard. He's and that's what you want to see. Yeah, and like you we said last night, you know, Carlos got on base, he drove in runs. Yeah, five RBIs big, last night for Los. Right, yeah. hit the three run homer. He had the big RBI yeah. single, double, you know, early. Yep. So. These are the things that matter. Uh, that's, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully we're seeing him come out. I mean, Carlos got on base via the walk. He's walked more than some teams in the Major League uh, uh, this year. I mean, he's phenomenal at getting on base. So we'll see. Uh, you know, they didn't panic. Terry Francona and Alomar's lineups have not panicked this year. They, no, they been- and they never yeah. do. If anything, they they even Francona has says I'll stay with players longer than, than most I should, yeah. than I probably should, but that's why players love playing for him because he shows faith in them and he believes you know in the long term that they're going to come through. So uh, hopefully Terry Francona will be back in a few days and uh, hopefully you know they'll continue to play good baseball. But yeah. I think between the I think the Indian players have handled their crisis well, very mature. Very mature. I think what you're seeing is a team that is actually a team who exactly. wants people playing exactly. within a team atmosphere and a team belief. Exactly. And that's encouraging. Uh There's no question in my mind having the talent level of Plesac and Clevenger, after the 31st, will be huge going forward because you're going to need that pitching depth. The How? Indians have pitching, but... But you need those guys back. You need those guys back, and they're, you know, it's going to be up to them to prove to their teammates that they are take responsibility for what has happened, and they move forward. And I think do you, time heals all wounds. Yes. And I do believe... 
probably towards the end of the month we'll see that happen. We may see one of them back. I think we see Swissnake back. Well, and we may see him back on the 22nd when they need a fifth starter. I, who knows? They may not do that. Maybe one of the other players they get go, called up. Yeah. Uh, Scott Moss, Logan Allen. Yeah, I don't know if Rodriguez is down there or not. Yeah, he's down there, yeah. yeah it could be Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, just throwing out a name. But, yeah, we'll wait and see. They could do what Detroit's doing, and I'm not saying they're going to do this because this is not the Indians' M.O. They could do a Tristan McKenzie. Yes. In a season like this, why not? Well, there's... I think we'll go a Rodriguez route or Logan Allen. I think anything is possible depending on how they determine that player's value at that time. Uh, I see no reason why not uh, to go to McKenzie if he's in this scenario. Well, I don't think you're really starting his clock that early if you bring him up. So, we'll see. I think, if anything, you'll see that in September. Uh... However, you have 28 players now on yeah. the roster the rest of the season. So you've got a lot of rooms to make changes, and uh, we'll see how they handle it. But right now, they're what, 14 and 14 9? 14 and 9. They're uh, the highest they've been over 500. So uh, they're playing a lot better baseball. Well, again, it was a good get well part of the schedule. You're, you play Detroit, you're playing Pittsburgh. And you play Detroit again. Right. Yeah. And you need to win games you're supposed to win. They've lost a few that they could have won that they didn't win. They've also won some that they could have lost. Exactly. It goes both ways. However, when you play the Twins the rest of the season, you got nine more games or eight more games with the Twins, I think it is. Is it seven? Yeah. I thought they played. Yeah, okay, seven. Seven. Four up there, yeah. Right, I thought it doesn't matter. I'd, you got to beat them, right? You just you, you have to play good baseball, and, and you have to do something about it. I mean, that's what it comes. I'm going to make a prediction tonight. I just looked at the lineup: Jordan Luplo, who has had just an awful start to the year, is back playing in Pittsburgh for the first time against his old team. Luplo is going to hit a homer tonight. All right, there you go. I'm going to put that on record. We'll check it out I'm next gonna, week. I'm going to turn out tomorrow zero for four, three Ks, but Jordan. I know you're not listening, but come on. Let's go. All right. Final thoughts here, Anthony? Let's go uh, continue to. This is probably one of the few times I root for Cleveland to beat Pittsburgh. Uh, so let's keep beating Pittsburgh and uh, Brown and the Twins. All right. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can always reach us on the website. Uh, and, of course, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Tim Continenza. Anthony's on Instagram at ACAP17. And you can catch us just about anywhere, including uh, Facebook, right on our own Radio MVP uh, page. So check it all out. If you get this through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and review. It helps others find us, and it would be greatly appreciated. All right, for Anthony, I am Tim. We'll talk to you next time right here on Radio MVP Sports.